Welcome to my Japanese Green Tea Podcast, a show dedicated to Japanese tea. Hosted by tea blogger Ricardo Caicedo. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 32 of my Japanese Green Tea Podcast. With us today is Noli Ergas of Sugimoto America. He's been a regular on the show. Thanks for coming, Noli. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me again. So we're going to talk today about matcha market. We're speaking with, with Noli, and he's very knowledgeable about that because he sells a lot of matcha in the U.S. So please give us a brief introduction for people that don't know about you, and I will hop right into the conversation. Sure. Yeah, so um, I've been with Sugimoto America now for about four years, and uh, Sugimoto America is the U.S. office of a Japanese tea manufacturer uh, called Sugimoto Seicha in Japan, uh, which has been in business since uh, 1946. And when I started, our company was doing, I would say, maybe you know less than 5% of our annual sales was matcha. And uh, now we are at a point where I think over 75% of our total tea sales are matcha. Well, that's so a lot. Yeah, quite a bit of growth in the last in the last four years. And do you believe that it's going to keep increasing? That's one of those things that, I mean, kind of everyone that's in the matcha industry right now is wondering about. Um, is matcha going to be a fad, a food fad, like mulberries or... Uh, even pomegranate, I hear, is kind of taking a slow, a big slowdown. Um, or is matcha going to stick around and be something like chai, where you know chai, I think, came onto the scene in the '90s as a new beverage, and now virtually every coffee shop you go to has a chai latte, and there's chai flavored chocolates, and, and you know, chai is definitely here to stay right now. So we're hoping matcha goes that same way too. Most of the demand is helped by people that prepare like a matcha latte or something and then they sell it. Not so much people that are drinking matcha by itself. Yeah, I don't think that, I don't think a very large percentage of the consumption of matcha in the U.S. right now or overseas is consumed straight. Um, I think lattes are happening a lot in service. It sounds like there are people making them in their homes, but matcha is also being applied, being added into smoothies, and uh, there's a lot of other culinary applications, doing baking, and just, yeah, a lot of other things. So I think most of the, the usage that matcha is getting these days is probably not like the traditional serving way. Okay, so that means that most of the sales are are the culinary grade matcha. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, we want people to enjoy matcha, the, the amazing drink that most of us have come to come to know. You know people like us that, that know Japanese tea rather well and get access to some very nice teas. But yeah, in terms of what you see in the stores these days in the U.S. and I imagine well, around the world, um, is that culinary grades are much more prominent. In fact. Say that culinary grades outsell our ceremonial grade probably ten to one. Uh, we sell definitely a lot more of, uh, of the culinary grade. Okay, and could you quickly tell us what's the difference in general between culinary and ceremonial matcha? 
Sure. Yeah, and I mean these these terms are not hardly they're not like firmly defined. Uh, so ceremonial grade and culinary grade are terms that have come up in the U.S. market. Um, in Japan, they don't really have that kind of uh, that kind of terminology. But uh, typically, a ceremonial grade is what most Japanese people think about uh, when they think about matcha. And uh, even if they don't know what exactly goes into it, uh, typically ceremonial grades have been shaded prior to harvest for at least 20 days. Uh, whenever they're steamed, um, they go into what's called a tenchado, which is a, a special traditionally brick, like kind of convection drying oven. Uh, so there's no rolling process, which is very key in much production. And from there, traditionally, they go into a stone mill, um, where it's ground into a super fine powder. And the, the really high-end matcha that you know, you'll come across is typically blended. Uh, different cultivars, different farms will be blended um, for a certain flavor profile. And uh, very high-quality matcha is typically aged. There's an aging process for about six months before they actually open it up and serve it for the first time. So actually, if you, if you study tra- traditional Japanese tea ceremony, at the very the very beginning of their year is actually like in November, uh, which is when they open the harvest of that year uh, for the first time. So that's the ceremonial matcha. Culinary matcha, <laughs> there are some who would say culinary matcha is anything that doesn't meet that definition. Uh, but really simply put, culinary matcha are all the grades kind of lower than that. So um, using the second, third, fourth, you know, the later harvests, in some cases, the, the plants aren't even shaded, but even if they are shaded in the earlier in the year, they're typically not shaded for the subsequent, like later harvest, fall harvest. Uh, there's still steaming and then a drying with no rolling process, uh, but oftentimes there's uh, other mechanical um, kind of grinders. Uh, a bead mill is very common. A jet mill is also sometimes used. Uh, these things reduce the particle size. Typically not as finely as uh, as using a stone grinder, but by using different mesh sieves, then you uh, can make sure that the, the particle size isn't that large uh, or is more in line with what matcha should be. But typically they're not ground as finely. And uh, in terms of what you actually experience when you compare these, uh, ceremonial grade matcha will be a super bright green color, will have a really complex aroma. Uh, you'll get a flavor that's a mixture of sweetness and savoriness uh, with a very complex finish that continues to develop um, after you swallow it down, whereas culinary matches tend to be a little more on the yellowish-green, brownish-green side. Um, they tend to have a, a more pungent aroma uh, and are marked by a, a bitterness when you drink them straight. But that bitterness is often mellowed out by milk or sugar or other things. So that's, I guess, a simple, uh, simple definition. Okay. If you used a really high quality matcha for a matcha latte, it wouldn't taste as, as good because it wouldn't be as bitter. Well, a lot of the bitterness in the culinary grade gets really neutralized by milk, uh, whether it's dairy milk or non-dairy. Uh, a lot of that bitterness really goes away. Uh, and with a, a ceremonial grade matcha, if you blend it with other things, you lose a lot of that complexity. So it's actually good to think about matcha like wine in that, you know, there are very fine wines out there that 
else. But if you're going to do a sangria or um, cooking applications, you'd use a cooking wine or you know just a lower grade wine. Okay. You know, there's sometimes there's these powder teas that they aren't called much of, but they're called like like just a powder green tea, like mm-hmm. uh, yeah, like they they'll say this is powdered sencha, this is just powdered green tea. But but sometimes yes, it would be almost like a culinary matcha. It wouldn't be such a actually it could be identical. Yeah, especially when you get uh, into like say powdered sencha. Like, that's going to be very similar to a culinary-grade matcha in that, in both cases, the leaves probably weren't shaded prior to harvesting. And it's the same tea plant. You know, the leaf is virtually the same. The big difference is, uh, if you have a powdered sencha, if it's actually sencha, then there was a rolling process uh, after the steaming during drying, and that does impact the flavor a bit. Uh, usually a powdered sencha will be a little browner, but there really isn't that much difference beyond that. And something that you'll see, too, when you see just powdered green tea, uh, really you can't call it anything other than that, uh, in that oftentimes these, these more economical culinary-grade uh, powdered green teas, uh, there is no rolling process. So technically it's not sencha either. So really, if you if it doesn't fit the criteria for matcha, then you can really just only call it powdered green tea. Now the tricky thing is in the U.S. and, and overseas there isn't hasn't been a uh, a very strict definition of matcha, and so um, powdered green tea it passes as matcha overseas or in in the U.S. and in other countries. And uh, according to some brands, you know they'll sell things that clearly are not matcha at all that aren't even green tea, like you know white tea ground up. They'll call it white matcha, which is just ground white tea. Or they'll grind up something that's not even from the tea plant, like rooibos, and call that red matcha or rooibos matcha. So the, definitely the definition in the U.S. has been kind of used and abused and been applied to a lot of things that are not matcha. But uh, I think now that it's becoming more popular uh, and a lot of brands are having matcha products, becoming harder for people to put out products that clearly are not matcha, using the matcha name. Okay, so let's go back to the the demand of matcha. Has it fallen yet, or it's always been increasing? I would say that it continues to increase. Uh, definitely, we have uh, as a company with you know having different accounts. Um, we've had accounts that use matcha where they've kind of, their numbers have kind of declined. But I think it's more of a an, a factor of the matcha market just becoming so inundated now. Uh, so many brands, uh, so many people really just like see the opportunity that there is and they start releasing much products. And so now if you go online, uh, whereas a few years ago there used to be very few matcha brands, now there's countless matcha brands. But the big players, like most of the main stores in the U.S., uh, there's a very large retail chain called Kroger Supermarkets. Um, and now you see matcha products in there. So seeing something in like the very, uh, in those kinds of very popular supermarkets is, I think, a sign that uh, matcha has grown quite a bit in popularity and it's just across the board. Um, so yeah, I don't think the matcha popularity has died yet. I think the explosive growth that it was experiencing a few years ago is over and now it's just kind of more of a steady growth. And now it's a question of just kind of how long will uh, matcha continue to 
gaining popularity. Yeah, and probably once it starts to lose popularity, it's, it's not going to be the end of the market. It's just going to go to some stable, lower level. That's what we're hoping, yeah, because, you know, people, a lot of businesses now are, uh, have built a lot around matcha, like a lot of the structure of their business. And even in Japan, a lot of the growers, you know, converted fields that they used to use to grow sencha, and now they're treating those plants you know, they're shading those plants and they're harvesting the like leaves that would go towards matcha. And many tea producers are, are investing in a lot of machinery to make matcha. So there really is this kind of hope that a matcha market doesn't just like explode and then crash. And uh, what actually happens is that there's already this kind of explosion in popularity. And, you know, maybe it's not as common as it was, but, you know, if uh, even half of the coffee shops in the U.S. continue serving a matcha latte or a green tea latte, then I think the matcha industry will continue to be going strong. There's no problem with supply at any point? Uh, there have been problems, actually. Uh, and I think it's becoming less problematic and it's time to move on. Finally, the supply is catching up with the demands. The, the big problem is that in the in the U.S. and overseas, a lot of the demand was in organic matcha. Now, the Japanese have been slow to take on organic, uh, or seeking organic in their, in their produce and agricultural products. So, there really hasn't been that much organic agriculture in Japan. And so it was very difficult to kind of feed the overseas demand of organic matcha when there was almost no organic matcha in Japan to begin with. But finally, a lot of farms have been installing machinery to, to make matcha. And what's happening more often, farms that you know used to produce solely sencha are now producing meat for matcha, uh, or tencha, which is the precursor of matcha. And a lot of places in, in Japan have kind of outfitted themselves to keep up with the demand. Like our company, just as an example, has gone from making having the capacity to make I don't know, maybe only like a ton or so of matcha a year uh, to now, I, I think we may be producing over 100 tons of matcha this year. I remember I talked to, I don't know if it was you or Kyohei at the World Expo, and mm -hmm. and it seems that the, the tea factory itself is expanding. Yeah, we're building another uh, factory across, right actually next door to our current factory, so we're going to have like two buildings going that new building, uh, definitely much is going to be a focus for that. Wow. And regarding other powder teas, um, how about hojicha powder? Yeah, hojicha powder is, I think, uh, amongst the Japanese green tea powders, it's the one that has the most character, apart from matcha, because essential powder is going to be like basically like matcha, except not as good. Uh, gim matcha powder is another thing that, that we produce, and uh, it's something that, you know, if you really like gim matcha, it's Good. But hojicha powder is a roasted, uh, well, hojicha is a roasted green tea, and it's got a very nice, earthy, chocolatey kind of aroma and flavor. It goes really well with ice cream and anything that uh, has chocolate in it, I think it works really well with. I really tried to increase the popularity of hojicha um, when I first started with the company, but And it would kind of catch on with people making ice cream and such, but not much more than that. Some places will make hojicha lattes, uh, but it's kind of hard to push in that it's a green tea, but brown, and uh, 
whenever you, when people ask, you know, like, what's this going to do for me? Uh, a lot of the nutrients that are in green tea are actually lost whenever you do this roasting. So it actually doesn't <laughs> have the story of, like, the superfood story that matcha has. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It has, it has a nice taste and aroma. Yeah, I love the, the aroma. I love the flavor. But I just, I don't know that it's ever going to really take off. Okay. And do you see any any new trend regarding matcha or, or any other Japanese tea? I don't know that there's anything new that is really on the horizon. I think it's mainly what we're going to see is just matcha and more and more different products. I mean, matcha has already, well, in Japan, I guess what really made matcha more popular and increased matcha consumption is using it in ice cream uh, and a lot of other sweets like chocolates and cakes, cookies, even at Hot Drops that are matcha flavored in Japan. Uh, Kit Kat, Nestle in Japan made the Matcha Kit Kat, which has been very popular over there and even now in the U.S. Uh, in the U.S., the products that you've kind of been seeing have been, uh, there's been some ready-to-drink bottles that have showed up on shelves. Uh, obviously, lattes that are being served in cafes. You do have matcha being used in ice cream here. You see some chocolates come out. And then there's some more interesting uh, uses of matcha. I've seen like matcha and whey protein. I've seen matcha even in like cricket protein bars, different different kinds of protein bars, more conventional protein bars and granolas as well. So I think I think matcha you'll see just showing up in more and more different types of products is probably what's most likely to happen. In Japan, there are many green tea cafes where a lot of the dishes are made with matcha. Is That's that something that is coming to the U.S.? Not, not yet. I don't know of... Um, I mean, there's a few matcha specialty shops, like in New York and L.A. and actually even in Miami. Um, I know of one in uh, San Francisco. So they're kind of popping up here and there, but they're usually kind of smaller cafe-style places. Uh, I haven't seen anything like a restaurant or um, any kind of real chain. The only chain I'm aware of is uh, Matcha Bar in New York, which now has a, sh- uh, a shop in L.A. too. But, you know, maybe with the success of those places, they may branch out in other cities or more different cities in the U.S. may pick up those kinds, or, you know, people may start those kind of cafes. Do you have any favorite matcha recipe? That you can share with us? Yeah, well, I mean, so I don't cook myself. Um, the, the easiest thing I do is just put matcha on top of vanilla ice cream and just eat it like that. Uh, and I've made matcha smoothies before with like bananas and spinach and dates, um, and almond milk. But of the different matcha recipes that I've had, that I've consumed, yeah, I think my favorite thing that I've had here is a uh, matcha crepe cake. So it's made with many different layers of uh, crepes, and then they use like a matcha uh, cream, I guess, I don't know if you call it a filling or, or an icing or whatever. But I've had that at a, a cake shop in New York, actually called Lady M, and uh, that one was really, really nice. I think they might have a location in L.A. as well. Have you seen many matcha cocktails in, in the U.S. or not really? I, you know, I've seen matcha cocktails. Uh, I had, there was a place here in Seattle I used to do them. I went to a place in Las Vegas that had a matcha cocktail. And I've heard of them in other cities. There's uh, someone in New York that I believe is doing that. That ha- 
hasn't been as popular as I thought it would be, considering that matcha is really easy just kind of put in a cocktail shaker and make with anything. You'll definitely see recipes out there, um, but I've only seen it a few times, actually, in stores or in, at bars or restaurants. Okay. Yeah, I I don't really cook that, that often either, but maybe the one I like the best is, is just putting it into beer and making a green tea beer. Matcha oh, beer. yeah. There was a, there's a place in Tokyo called Green Tea Restaurant 1899, and they had a number of drinks uh, with with matcha and other Japanese green teas in there. And that's where we actually... Well, I, I had seen matcha beer a couple of years ago, and I had made some at home. I thought, actually, it worked pretty well, because they're both foamy. Um, but oh, are, they do a bit bitter. Yeah, but I mean, I think if you use like a high-grade matcha, it could be, could be nice. Um, oh yeah, they're both, they're both bitter, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. for sure. But uh, Green Tea Restaurant 1899 in Tokyo, um, I haven't been, but other people from my company have been. I really recommend checking it out. I've been wanting to go. Uh, but they, they've done the best job I've seen of like really making a matcha drink mental, alcoholic drink menu, and uh, matcha beer being one of them. I think they've been a Hojita stout. They've done a number of things that look really good. And it's really easy to make. I mean, you can just whisk up some matcha and then add beer to it. <laughs> <laughs> From my understanding, yeah, pretty simple. When you mix different grades, you get like intermediate grades, right? Uh, yeah. Well, I guess just a little bit yeah, about the grades. Um, typically, the, the very first harvest, you know, treated very nicely, like the shading and the stone mill grinding and, and all that, like is the highest grade of matcha. Um, and then kind of every harvest after that, the quality is kind of seen as generally being a little less. And the most economical stuff is usually the fall harvest. Um, you can mix the harvests, but you can also just take second harvest by itself and just call it, you know, a lower grade. And you can take the last harvest by itself and call that your most economical grade. So, I mean, you can blend the harvest, but it's not, not fully necessary. Um, it does end up happening a lot, though, just uh, to create a more consistent product year to year. And finally, um, I, ha I have this notion. I think that if you if you have a really good matcha and a not that good matcha, the difference wouldn't, wouldn't be much about health, but maybe it would be more about taste and aroma because the what makes the better matcha better is like the amino acids, and, and that's not the the EGCG and all these uh, antioxidants, right? Yeah, so we've done uh, testing on our different grades of matcha, and from what we've seen, uh, there really isn't much difference in the health benefits between the ceremonial grade and the culinary grades. Uh, I mean, there, of course, are different percentages of different nutrients in there, because that's why it tastes different, it smells different, and a different color and all that. Um, but the things that you're you're getting in the matcha, um, especially things like carbohydrates and fats and proteins and all that, there there isn't really that much in there to begin with because there's servings like a gram or two grams. So the things that do matter, like caffeine, yeah, you will get more caffeine in a ceremonial grade than in a culinary grade. So if that's something you want, then get the ceremonial. If that's something you don't want, then go for culinary. But in terms of the EGCG, well, the antioxidants. I'll focus on EGCG. The levels really aren't that different. There is kind of a different balance of catechins, which includes EGCG, ECG, CG, GC, but I 
and there's a lot of different catechins that <laughs> all have confusing initials. But EGCG has been shown to be the most potent one, and the levels really aren't very different uh, between the ceremonial and culinary grade. And even if there is a difference, I mean, if you just consume more, like two grams instead of one gram, then you're going to get a lot more uh, using culinary grade. The, the big difference, um, the big differences are the levels of the free amino acids. So like theanine, uh, which has effects on the flavor. You get a lot more umami rich, um, tea with a lot of theanine. Um, but also theanine is a, is a bioactive compound that affects your neurotransmitters in your brain. So it helps keep you like more calm, but yet alert. It also kind of slow, slows the absorption of caffeine by the brain. So you do get a lot, like three, I think about two or three times more in the, in the ceremonial grade than you do the culinary grade. So in that sense, yeah, there's a big difference. There's more caffeine in the ceremonial grade. Well, okay, Noli, then uh, thank you for all your time. It was very nice to speak to you again, and hopefully we'll, we'll have another podcast in the future. Sure. And I guess one, well, one question for me before we go. Okay. Um, how was Macha doing there in Colombia? Uh, it's been selling more and more, but it's still not as high as the demand in the U.S. So although it has been increasing, it's a really slow increase, and, and not a, still not a lot of people know about it yet. Okay, yeah, we've been excited hearing about, well, I mean, Colombia picking up and, and heard about in Peru and Chile and other Latin American countries, Mexico, that uh, there's kind of been increasing demand for matcha. So it sounds like the trend is really kind of spreading across the globe and not just not just the U.S. and Europe. Yeah, it is. So then, um, good luck with spreading the word about Hojicha powder. Um, <laughs> I'll do my best. And keep selling a lot of match. <laughs> All right. Okay. I'll try. Goodbye. Yeah, good talking to you, Ricardo. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to my Japanese Green Tea Podcast. Join us again next time 